Titus tonight to begin with and turn to Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. And tonight we're going to look at a topic. Um, don't know that I've ever taken a message and addressed this particular subject. And so, um, brand new message after 44 years or so. And uh, you may have seen the title of the message in the bulletin, Conservative or Christian, with a question mark. And I hope that's kind of stirred your curiosity. Not, this, not This is not meant to say necessarily either or. Right? Um, anyway, you'll see what I mean hopefully as we go through. But to start with, we're going to use uh, look at Proverbs chapter 11. And you follow along, I'm just going to read uh, verse 25, and then we'll pray. And then we're going to take a look at a couple other verses. And then get into the main part of the message for tonight. Something I hope that will help us. And maybe we can help some others. Right? Let's uh, share some of our views, but not all. That's really the point of the message. Um, Proverbs 11, verse 25 says this, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. And the word fat is the idea of flourishing, full of sap, like a plant that is healthy and with all the, you know, the, the things, the, the roots and the, the stem and all those kinds of things are all healthy, drawing the sap, or drawing the water, drawing the minerals, and, and healthy. So anyway, and you see the word liberal. We're going to talk about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for the word of God. We thank you that it does address every area of our lives and, and not, maybe not always every word that we deal with or every, every word or subject per se, but there are principles to cover every area of our life. And help us tonight. Help our country. Um, Father, I pray for the believers in America. Help us all to have our priorities straight and be biblical in our thinking, in our speech, and our actions. So help us tonight by the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of Truth, and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, there are a number of terms in our country that are used to define or describe what I hear called people's political ideology. Here are a few of them. Liberal, conservative, moderate, progressive, to name a few. We're not going to be too concerned about moderates and progressives and all that. Um, but to begin tonight, let's think about three passages of Scripture. All right, the one we just read, the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. All right, let's go to Isaiah chapter 32. Every one of these passages has a certain word in common. Uh, Isaiah 32 and verse 8. Isaiah 32, verse 8. Give me a moment to get there. It says this, But the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. Right? Three times in one verse. And then, one other one, and we'll, we'll um, uh, first, or 2 Corinthians, rather, 2 Corinthians 9, 13. 2 Corinthians 9, 13. And we're going to read verses um, 13 through 15. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 13, says, Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, glorify God for your professed objection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And then I suppose we could have gone and thought this. But I did look at this verse in preparation in, in the book of James. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and it shall be given him. And prayeth not, shall be given him. All right, now, what do, what do all these passages of Scripture 3 that I emphasized, they all contain the word liberal. Right? Liberal is a word that's in the Bible. Let me just give you a couple definitions here because they're not all the same exact word, but in Proverbs 11.25, the word liberal means blessing or gift. In Isaiah 32.8, the word liberal means willing, generous, noble. Second Corinthians 9.13, it means single, generous, giving. The word single there, the idea of being single-minded, one purpose. Um, so it's very similar to the renderings in the Old Testament. So um, in the Bible, the word liberal always means generous, giving. Uh, interesting that there in Isaiah, it actually has the idea of being noble. Now, words change in their meaning, when they're used. However, today... Liberal in politics means much more. Although liberals in government are generous with our money. And that's not a joke, really, they are. They're very, very generous with other people's money. That's not the biblical idea of liberal. Talking about politically and ideologically, liberal means or has the connotation today of being in favor of greater government involvement more control, pro-choice. By the way, I'm sure you're not fooled. Some people are actually fooled. Some people actually think that pro-choice means pro-life. It doesn't. It really means pro-abortion. Right? Pro-choice is really... They don't, want, they don't want women to choose to have a baby. They want them to choose abortion. Right? Anyway, what else? It means wherever I lost a place. Um, anti... I mean, pro-abortion... Um, Pro-homosexual, anti-traditional marriage, anti-gun. You know, that's what liberal means today. Obviously, it's not a very good thing. Um, then you have the word conservative, which, by the way, does not appear in the Bible. The word conservative nowhere is found in Scripture. Maybe that's significant. I'm, I don't know. But conservative has the general connotation of, of being against greater government involvement, against government control, being pro-life, anti-abortion, pro-traditional marriage, anti-homosexual, pro-gun, etc. Now I hope every one of us here tonight would agree with those principles. We believe that too. We believe that the Bible teaches a very limited form of government. Basically the government's responsibility is to defend us from enemies. In fact, I tell you, the per well, I don't know to go there, but when the President of the United States takes his oath of office, one of the things he promises to do is to protect us from all enemies, foreign and domestic. 
and our current president is not doing that at all. Anyway, that's take that for, for what it's worth. Um, so it's and it's to the, the second biblical purpose of government is to keep law and order, right? reward the good, punish the evil, and that sort of thing. And that's it, basically, right? And we uh, and so the Bible nowhere says that the government is to provide for our, our everything, our health and. You know, the, the scripture tells us that the, if, if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, we're to do, we're to provide our own things in that in that regard. And conservatives would believe that too. Um, now, however, there is something else that we need to consider this evening. And that is this. Many people who consider themselves conservatives and, and would fight for conservative causes are not Christians. Conservative does not necessarily equal Christian. And so, um, I have talked to people over the years. Okay? And I don't know if he's, I'm sure he's not listening, but for years, I mean, some of you might know, I worked for Marty, Marty's Market, for years. And, and after he had me there for a while, he finally got me where he really wanted me. He, wanted, he always wants everybody behind the deli case. That's, that's his big thing. Me, the deli. And if you don't want to do that, then he doesn't have much use for you as an employee. Right? So anyway, finally got back there. And so he would be cutting the meat, I'd be making sandwiches, waiting on customers, and of course we would have a lot of chance, a lot of opportunities to talk. He knew who I was. By the way, he introduced me to all the salesmen, all the delivery men. He said, hey, this is our resident preacher, watch your mouth around him, all that sort of thing. Made it very easy to, to take a stand. But anyway, we would talk, and, and we would discuss things, and he would tell me, what he believed. And I, I just said so many times, do you realize that what you just said is right out of the Bible? See, conservative views are correct. Not because some guy decided he's going to be conservative and he's going to invent these things, but because they're based on the Bible. Right? Everything that is held by, for the most part anyway, um, is right out of Scripture. And so... Um, I have met people over the years who are conservative to the core, and yet they're not saved. Sadly, there are there are many conservatives who will probably end up in hell. All right, and our former president could grab every one of them. President Trump, um, he may end up in the lake of fire. He will end up in the lake of fire if he doesn't get saved. So you know that, but that's the real issue. And I'm really concerned about even Christians who are all involved in the conservative movement. Because there are things more important. And what I'm, what I'm looking at, I'm thinking about those, I, I read messages and things, and they are, you know, some of them are, are hoping for another American revolution. They want to take back the country by force if necessary. And some are stockpiling weapons, and yet they, they claim to be Christian. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But I want to suggest tonight that is not what we are supposed to do um, as believers. And so let's take a look at some things. Let's put a few a few scriptures that to help us keep our perspective and thus our priorities straight. And so we're going to take a look. First of all, let's go to the Book of Acts. Um, you know, the Book of Acts is a great book um, for many things. And always to me, the greatest blessing of the book of Acts is the, it shows the obedience of the apostles to Christ's commission to go into all the world. 
Um, but, but something else about the book of Acts, it really shows how a Christian is, is to live in our world. Right? They, obviously, they were, under, they were under the Roman Empire, which is one of the most corrupt systems that's ever that man has ever invented. Um, we think about all the things going on in our country, we have nothing on the Romans. Um, they were wicked, they were evil, they were bad, they were corrupt. And of course, and beyond that, eventually... They, they launched severe persecution against the church. And again, I'm not going to take time to do this. I'm no expert in all these things, but there are certainly parallels between the decline of the Roman Empire and the decline that we're seeing in America. And ended up with severe persecution. We think that can never happen here. Well, it certainly can. It's by the grace of God, it won't. We hope it won't. But anyway, but so... Acts really shows Christians living in a wicked environment, a wicked, a wicked country. So in, in chapter 11 um, of the book of Acts, my first point tonight is Christians first in Antioch. Right? Now, let's look at chapter 11 of Acts and start in verse 19. First thing we'll take a look at in this passage is the effects of the scattering. Right? Look at 19. Now they, which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. Remember that? Acts 8. Right? In 7, Acts, Stephen's stone to death, persecution arises, and everybody flees Jerusalem except the apostles. That's Acts chapter 8. Then it says there that arose, that arose, arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia. And Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none, to none but unto the Jews only. And again, Acts chapter 8 tells us that they that were scared abroad went everywhere preaching the word. All right? So they didn't stop preaching. They didn't stop living for Jesus just because they were on the run. Verse 20. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, uh, spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned unto the Lord. All right, so they went about preaching. Um, there's no evidence, no record in Scripture that they ever prayed for the persecution to stop. They didn't hold rallies. They didn't have pro. They didn't have protests to get the government to you know be better and all that sort of thing. No, they just went about living for the Lord. God used them greatly. Many came to know the Lord. A great number believed. And turn unto the Lord. And then number two, the encouragement from Barnabas, verse 22, the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. Alright? And so Jerusalem was still like kind of like, I say this in the right way, the mother, they were kind of like the mother church. I mean, that was where the gospel originated, that's where the church first started. And so they were still kind of the headquarters. And if you read from here for, from here on. Uh, in the book of Acts, you'll find some times when they consulted with the church of Jerusalem. Okay. And so the tidings came, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added Unto the Lord, there was an old there was an old grave in the Lynn Cemetery. We used to live there up there, not the cemetery, Lynn. <laughs> 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 Better clear that up. 
And I used to take walks, and I would walk through the cemetery. It's interesting to me, anyway, to read the gravestones, especially the old ones. Like, I was up there one day, and I came across the grave of a Pastor Sheldon. And Acts 11.24 was inscribed on his tombstone. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and faith, and much people was added. And the Lord I thought, man, I would love to hear that. No, that guy, he, he lived back in the 1800s. That's what it says about Barnabas. Acts chapter uh, 4, the end of the chapter, he's called the son of consolation. His name, his real name wasn't Barnabas. They gave him that name. Son of consolation, son of comfort. So he came encouraged. Right? Then we have the enlistment of Saul. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Remember it was Barnabas who stood up for Saul when nobody wanted to believe he was a Christian. And so when he had found him, in verse 26, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And yes, that's the same Antioch in chapter 13 where the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I called them. So that was... So Antioch became the center for the first foreign missions. Right? But I want you to notice a couple things here. It says that, this, that they taught much people. Barnabas and Saul. They were going that many had come to know the Lord, and so there was a great work started there. Barnabas came along, and then he got Saul to join him, and they began a ministry there in Antioch. And it says they taught much people. The word taught here is the word for instructing believers, as in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, and lend with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So it was the instruction of the new converts. And then the other thing, and here's the key thing for the message tonight, that this and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So that, that, that title, that description, had not yet been used. All right? There was one basic word for believers. They were called believers or they were called disciples. Right? And of course, you should know this, a disciple means a student, a committed learner and follower. Right? A disciple was just somebody that went to class or went to church and heard he was a if he was one who put into practice what he or she was being taught and lived it out and right? carried it forth. Now, in the book of Acts alone, the word disciple is used at least 29 times just in Acts as a descriptive, the word, the descriptive word for believers, right? Disciples. Now, we have sunk so low in America, there's a debate over whether you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. Uh, I was in a Sunday school class, not here, not you, Bruce. <laughs> I was in a Sunday school class one time years ago, and uh, visiting church, and that was the topic of discussion. Do you have to be a disciple to be a Christian? And I, I sat there, I, I couldn't, I couldn't shut up, shut up, I'd raise my hand, but I was, it just, that just, that just grieves me. I, it, it just appalls me to think we've, got, we've come that low. I was in another group one time where they were debating on whether the place in Acts chapter 4 was really shaken or just spiritual. And whether Jesus will really come back on a white horse. I think, are you kidding me? 
people are dying going to hell, Christians are starving spiritually, you're, you're concerned about these kinds of things, or whether you should have devotions in the morning or not. You know, just these, oh, just drives me crazy. I mean, the Bible makes it pretty plain right here that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, and, and, and by the way, it seems to be a derogatory term, at least on the part of the society. And really, it was given to believers in Antioch first because of the way they lived and taught. It means belonging to Christ. It means a Christ follower. And there, there is a connotation of the word Christian where it means little Christ. Right? So in other words, all these people going around acting like Jesus. And, and they didn't like that necessarily. Most places they went on. But so that was the term. Now I understand that things have developed, you know, kind of slowly sometimes in the New Testament era. But it, it's significant to me that the word Christian only is found three times in the, in the whole New Testament. Three times. And a couple of times it's, it's connected with suffering. First Peter. Suffer as a Christian. Right? As belonging to Christ. So, um, so they were called Christians there. They, used to, they were known as disciples. And then the word disciple continues to go on through the book of Acts. That's not the end of it. It's like, okay, now they're Christians. Well, the word disciple continues to be used um, throughout the book of Acts. Right. And so again, the, Acts is a good textbook on how Christians live in a hostile society. All right. So, then we want to take a look back in John 19. I want us to look for just a moment at Christ before Pilate. Part, it seems like part of the conservative movement, especially today, it seems more hostile than it used to be, and they seem to at least talk about resisting the government and even overthrowing the government. Some think it's our duty to overthrow the government. That's a whole other subject. Um, but I'd like us to think for just a moment um, here in, in John 19. There's more passages we can look at. The question is, what was Christ's attitude toward the leaders? If anybody had the right to denounce leaders, it would be Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of all. In John chapter 19, I mean, think, think about this, starting verse 1. It says, there, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. In other words, they had him whipped with the Roman cat of nine tails. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man, and so on. And Pilate says two or three times in this passage of Scripture, I find no fault in this man. And of course, we know that the will of God was that he go through all this and then, and then go to the cross. Now, let's skip down to verse number 9. Well, let's back up a little bit. Verse 6, When the chief priest therefore... And offered a sign, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, 
And by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He wasn't amused. He didn't think it was a joke. And went, and went again to the judgment hall and said to Jesus, Whence art thou? In other words, where did you come from? All right? Kind of have the idea. He's not, this is not a normal human being. But Jesus gave him no answer. And then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power, and power there's the idea of authority, power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now there's, obviously this may not be the main thing about this verse of Scripture, but it stands out very, very plainly that Jesus Christ right here acknowledged Pilate's authority. He said, it's from above. Romans 13, the powers that be, you know, the powers that be, your God are ordained of God, right? even Pilate. Right? Um, and you know, several, more than once throughout Jesus' early reign, they wanted him to be king, they wanted him to take over, overthrow the Romans, all that sort of thing. And of course he did not. It wasn't the time. But I also want to submit to you tonight that um, neither Christ, nor Peter, nor John, nor James, nor Paul, nor Jude, nor anybody else who wrote the New Testament, none of them were political activists, nor taught that Christians ought to be overthrowing the government and all those kinds of things. I don't... I don't you see anything in Scripture where Paul or anybody were involved in protests and marches against the government. Um, there is an interesting thing that one of Jesus' disciples was known as Simon Zelotes. And that's Simon the Zealot. And Simon was a member of a political party that advocated the overthrow of Rome. But you know what? Jesus got him away from that. The Lord taught him um, so, let's take a look at one other thing here, one other main point, and that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll take a look at Paul's Christ-sharing ministry and what was Paul's priority. And I want to gain an application from something that Paul said uh, regarding his calling and his ministry. Um, I think we could, we, it'll help us to gain a little bit of perspective. All right. uh, 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 1 starting in verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Very important. Unity. Unity of doctrine. Unity of speech. Unity of purpose. For I have been declared unto me of you, that my brethren, by them that which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. For this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have, Apo I have Apollos, I have, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. And so that was, that was one of the problems going on 
in the church of Corinth. They were favoring one over another. Is Christ divided? Of course, the answer to these is all no. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any others. Paul said, I don't remember if I baptized them or not. Verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Alright, now, the point is here, the application that I would like to make on Paul's perspective, first of all, his priority was to preach the gospel. He says, he, called, he didn't call me to baptize, he called me to preach the gospel. So does that, work? So does that mean that Paul was diminishing Baptism, no. All right. But it wasn't his priority. By the way, the, the, the Word of God bears it out, teaches us that baptism is intended to be a local church ordinance. So really, it's the responsibility and privilege of the, the pastors of churches right, to do baptism. Not evangelists. Right. We, if we were, you know, I would never... Thing. Uh, I would never have, you know, as much as I admire Ken Lynch, I would never have him do a baptism here. Right? That's, that's the pastor's job and his privilege to baptize people. Right? So, that's, and Paul is basically saying that his position as an evangelist, as a traveling missionary evangelist, is better suited that the churches do the baptisms, the local churches. Now, I know people, and a lot of times that isn't being followed. A lot of circumstances, who cares? Anybody will baptize anybody. You know, people are getting baptized at camps, all that sort of thing. I appreciate Tri-State. They don't baptize people. They understand that's the local church's responsibility, and so on and so forth. So what I'm saying is this. Here is something that is perfectly legitimate, baptizing believers. If Paul said, that's not my call, that's not my priority. So how much less would it be for him to be involved in political activism, marches and protests, and all those kinds of things. Now, you might say it, rightfully so, there's a couple times Paul appealed to his Roman citizenship. And he did. Nothing wrong with that. By the way, that didn't work his whole life. He was executed by Rome, right? even though he was a citizen. Um, so, so, our priority is, or, or one application is this, conservatism has some good beliefs some good ideals. But we are called to be Christians first, conservative second. Now obviously, again, there's some, there's some level ground, there's some common ground between the two. Again, I'm not saying you have to be either or. In fact, I would go on, beyond, I would go on to say that a Christian who's not a conservative needs to learn from things. But you can be, be a Christian, you know, you ought to be a conservative as well, but you can be a conservative and not be a Christian. That's the point. Right? Now let's take a look at one more passage. We're done. Back in Psalms, Psalm one eighteen. Basically, you know, things have changed. Obviously, no matter what, no matter what you might think about what may or may not happen in America, um, it's obvious. 
that the America that our kids and grandkids are growing up in is not the same America that I grew up in and that you older folks grew up in. It's not the same country by a long shot. So, so again, we don't know the direction. And I'm not one of those that's, that's going to give up on America, but I, I'm not one of those that's going to take a picket sign and go downtown and protest right, against things. Different laws and different politicians, so I'm really, it's not gonna, it's not, that's not the answer to America. It's a spiritual revival that's going to change things in America, if America ever is changed. So, Psalm 118. Um, by the way, our priority is to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and the whole counsel of God. The word of God is our priority because it's the word of God that changes lives. And if God were to send a revival to this country, our leaders would basically be helpless to do anything about it. And they could turn up the heat, so on, but it won't make a difference. God's word, God's word still will go on. All right, let's take a look at Psalm 118. And verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Verse 9. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Right? Simple, right? Our trust is not in politicians. And in fact, it can, there's, I've noticed this over the years. All right? throw out some names. President Clinton gets elected, Christians are praying again. George W. Bush gets elected, we got a guy on our side. Obama gets elected, oh my, things are awful, we better pray. President Trump gets elected, okay, we have a friend. See that, you see what I'm saying? That, that's what happens. We, we, we can't look at things that way. And um, As much as I appreciate some of the things that President Trump did. He's not going to save America. I see, I already see, probably should turn it off, but I already see Trump 2024 signs. And that, that's okay, that's fine. I wouldn't mind if he got elected. I will say this, honestly, there's a lot better people. All right? There's people that are Christians, that have, that have run. Um, there are, you know, there are people that just have it together better. Let's just put it that way. Um, but he is not my hope. My hope for this country and my daily life does not rise or fall on who's president or who's not president. And we can't we can't be that way. We have to trust the Lord and do what God has called us to do. And we may not like it. You might not might not like to hear this, but I, it's, it's a fact from the Bible and from history that it's during times of persecution that the gospel spreads and the church is strong and much is accomplished for the Lord. Because Paul said this: "I am an, an ambassador in bonds, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound." Nothing can stop the power. In fact, it's good. According to the psalmist, before I was afflicted, I went astray. The psalmist said, Lord, thou hast known my soul in adversities. 
So a little bit of adversity, a little bit of opposition is actually better for the church because it causes us to depend more on the Lord and to, to focus what are what are our priorities. And so, um, we as Americans, we have certain as we have certain rights and privileges. We don't know how long we're going to have, but but we can vote. We can petition. We can let our views be known. We can let our voices be heard. But we must always keep in mind the primary importance of living as Christians and ministering the Word of God. Whoever our leaders are and whatever the direction our country goes, our task remains the same. That is to live for the Lord, pray, get out His Word, so on and so forth. Guns is one of the big issues today. You know, Second Amendment, guaranteed. What are you going to do when the, the army or the police show up at your house and say, we're here for your guns? Are you going to get as many of them before they hit you? I don't, again, I'm shut up. I don't have a gun right now. I don't, I don't have one right now. But if I had guns, they came to my house, surrender your guns, Folks, I'm giving up my guns. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going <laughs> to get as many of them before they get me. That's ridiculous. All right. Anyway, that's my that's my opinion. That's where I where I stand on all this. You know, I guess you have to do what you think is right. But uh, anyway, hopefully it won't come to that. Um, there are certain ones in our leadership, and it will come to that if they have their way. Somebody told me, I heard a preacher say one time, you got to pick your battles. And what hills you're willing to defend to the death. And at this point, I'm not willing to defend my guns right to the death. If they want you, they, if they're gonna, if they want to get us, they're going to get us. One way or the other, let's hope they don't. Right? Now, I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm just, that's it. These are, we may face issues like this. In our lifetime, we have to go do what the Bible says. You know, by the way, Jesus told his disciples to buy a sword, and they got they came back and they said, Lord, here's two swords. And Jesus said, It is enough. What do you mean by that? Enough to overthrow Rome? Enough to fight? No. Enough. That's enough. You don't need a bunch of swords. People are less, if you if you're carrying a sword or a gun, people are going to be less apt to attack you, but and then, of course, Peter goes in the garden and uses that sword cut off the guy's ear. That's not what Jesus intended. No. Anyway, so we just need to follow the Word of God, put our confidence in the Lord, not in princes, and go on <clears throat> in the power of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for the time and thy word this night. And thank you for the principles of Scripture. And certainly, it's sad that we have to consider issues like this day in which we live because of the corruption, because of the things that are going on in our country. Oh Lord, help us. And there's just so many, maybe millions out there um, who are just so caught up um, and, uh, in the whole political thing. Lord, I, I believe the Word of God tells us that that's not our priority. Our priority is to live for Christ and to proclaim the Gospel and, and stand for the Word of God. And so help us, O Lord, in these days. And we do pray for our country. Lord, if it be thy will, that you might grant to us in mercy 
a revival, a turning back, at least to some extent, to the principles upon which our nation was founded. And we do thank you that. And I'm thankful tonight that there are still some freedoms, there's still some laws that protect our freedoms, our freedom of religion and things like that, our freedom to assemble and just all these precious things. And Lord, we pray that we may have them until the Lord comes. And yet, Father, help us to be true to thee no matter what happens. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books and we will close with number 333. 333. May the mind of Christ my Savior. 333. Short verses, uh, we'll do all of them. Let's go. All right, let's stand, please. May the mind of Christ my Savior.
thank you for this day. Thank you for the service tonight. Thank you for the word. We thank you for this great hymn that we've just sung. What spiritual insight is contained therein. And Lord, help us to, to do the things that we've just sung about. And truly may the mind of Christ, our Savior, be in us. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, that precious word tells us. Help us to be like him. Help us to talk like him, be like him, and serve like him. And please use us, dear Lord, in these days in which we live, and not only us, Lord God, but every Bible-believing church in this country. Lord, stir us up, raise us, help us to um, send the gospel out, spread the word, Lord, that it might result in precious souls being saved, and believers being strengthened, and most of all, thy name glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.